reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you are reading from the Black Bible, Bible under the chair in front of you, it's on page 1015. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning, adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Amen. You can be seated. As you can see, Pastor Tom is going to be um, preaching today. Um, Tom is our elder um, over a handful of things, but one of the things he's incredibly gifted with is um, discipleship, men and women's um, discipleship. So he oversees those various areas of ministry inside our church. So the text that we have today is just the text that's in Tom's wheelhouse. We've been talking and praying for this text, and so what I'm going to do is just pray over him, asking the Spirit would come and lead him and, and guide him, equip him, assist him to proclaim, and then we will turn and let Tom um, teach us from the Scriptures. So won't you guys pray with me as we pray for Tom. God, we love you. The Word is good. The words of our living God They come to us and they change us. They save us. They make us right with the Father. The living word opens the eyes of the blind. The living word grows us to be more like Jesus. So God, I pray that as you use my brother like a tool, like an instrument in your hands today, that Holy Spirit, you would lead him and guide him, assist him to proclaim God, would he be a man like an instrument used and wielded in the hands of the Redeemer today to teach us, to show us the gospel and how the gospel applies even to this relational sphere called marriage and how husbands relate to wives and wives relate to husbands. May we be a people shaped by the good news that Jesus Christ saved sinners. Do this now for your name's sake and your glory through my brother, Pastor Tom. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the pre-Thanksgiving feast, right? Already starting to look forward to it. We've got the turkey in our refrigerator, talking about the meal, anticipating it, yet it's almost a week away. So, The title for this in the series, like Johnson has said, we've been going through this, and today's the gospel in marriage. Um, this week we move into yet another institution created by God called marriage, and what that submission and authority looks like in the context of that institution. 
Two weeks ago, it was what does it look like as men and women, right, to, to submit to government, to the civil authorities. Last week, went to work. What does it look like for an employer, employee? And so today, we'll look at men and women in our roles as husbands and wives in the context of God's design of marriage in the institution of marriage. But before I go, and, and this is something that we've been praying about all week and just something that was on my heart as, as, we prepare, as I prepared for this, was that there's the possibility going into this that there could be some distractions. Um, namely, probably two. Um, one would be that as you heard Amanda read the text or as you've read that text, you could look at it and say, well, that text is for a wife of a non-believing husband. And so... I'm a wife of a believing husband, I'm a man, I'm not married. The the list could go on and on to where you could say this text, I can just kind of check out, it doesn't really apply to me. That's not true. It does. The other one, and I think probably even a more um, concerned, is that it's through a a distraction that comes from the language that we hear through this text. And unfortunately, what men and in churches and out of churches, what our society has created to put a slant or put a definition on these words that no longer make it appealing as a Christian. We hear words in seven verses. The women will hear words like submit, be quiet, don't do your hair, don't put on makeup or wear nice clothes. And if that hasn't set you on edge enough, then in verse 7 we call you the weaker vessel. So, so please, don't check out. Those are neither one truth. And that's not what Peter wrote. And that's not what God intended to teach us through this text. And I thought of one third distraction that I will not be able to overcome. And that's at 11.45, there's going to be the smell of fried chicken. And so I hope to be done by then. Because if I don't, I know I'll lose all of you. So... Anyway, let's get started. Pastor Jonathan has done a great job actually leading us through all of 1 Peter, but even specifically these last two weeks of this uh, narrowing, as we've talked about last week, he used the illustration of concentric circles. And uh, the government circle was out, and the employer employment circle was a little bit tighter, and now we've tightened the circle even more into the circle of marriage. So... As we look at that today, um, really no new principles this week. It's still about submission and authority and submitting to that authority, but it's new context and new application, right? We're still hearing Peter teach on submission in the institution that God created, but we'll rely on what Peter has been leading us through up through these verses um, to have us understand the context and the application in marriage. So... Um, before I get started, I kind of want to talk about a couple of things that, that we've gone over in the past. And that's um, three weeks ago, Jonathan started this by preaching on in First Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12. And I just really feel like when he was preaching that and just as I've been praying and preparing, that we, we need to go back to this passage to kind of help us to remember, um, especially because of what the text says today, uh, that just to help us keep this in the right context. So I'm going back to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. that says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I, I think it's important that we go back there because really kind of what we're talking about today even takes us even further back into Genesis, um, Genesis 1 and 2, where this was all created, where, married, where men and women were first created, where marriage was created. And then we get into chapter 3 and we see the fall. And then so that's the flesh and that's what we're kind of warring against. And that's really kind of what the struggle is in this text in some instances is that we're really warring against our flesh. Women are warring against wanting to rule over their husbands. Husbands are wanting to lord over their wives. So this is all part of the context of what we're struggling with as we get into the text today. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us and you have presented it to us in such a way that we can read it and we can understand it. We can know your character. We can know your will. And you've blessed us with application and right understanding of what that looks like to live in the context of submission as men and women, what that looks like to be in positions of authority and to rightly use that. So, Father, as we go through this text this morning, would you just remove any of these distractions, either the ones I've mentioned or others that we might have as we sit here this morning to really hear and let the Holy Spirit work in my heart, let the Holy Spirit work in the hearts of those who are hearing this to um, hear what you would have them hear, to see what you would have them see, uh, regardless of the words that I use, but from the text uh, that this comes from. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the theme, if you will, for today is the heart transformation demands gospel behavior. So I put that in a sentence. It sounds like this. Husbands and wives use their gospel freedom to please God in their marriages. Husbands and wives use their gospel freedom to please God in their marriages. And so just to outline quickly what this is going to break down and look like, there's obviously two main sections. There's verses 1 through 6 that is to the wives, and then there's verse 7 that's to the husband. In verse 6, 1 through 6, it'll break down kind of what, what, we're, what that looks like as wives to submit to your husband and the answers of how and kind of an application. And then in verse 7, it kind of tells us as men how we're to lead and love our wives um, and live with them in an understanding way. And so we'll move into those two sections one by one. But before we do that, and we've looked back at 11 and 12, I also want to just um, point out that this is heavy on kind of going back through where we've been in Peter um, and knowing that the things that we've heard in the last few weeks have application um, today as well. So, so kind of keep in mind the things that we've heard, and I'll, I'll, I'll send us back there a couple times, but um, just, re- just remember that this is um, just part of a progression that Peter's been leading us on um, to get us to where we are today. And there's application and understanding of things that Jonathan's taught on the last two weeks that apply here as well. So let's look at verse 3 1. Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So we start off with just a word, likewise, right? And we know that when we see that word, it usually is referring us back to something. This is pointing back to actually to wives and understanding in the previous chapter in verse 
13 and 18, where it said, in 13, it said, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. And then 18 said, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. So this, likewise, is reminding us and reminding wives um, to go back, to remember the authority that comes from God, right? That that's not... Um, the authority isn't in those people. The authority is coming from God. And regardless of how well or poorly those people led in those instances, we were still to submit. This lets wives know that regardless of whether your husband, whether he's a believer, which we kind of touched on in my opening, and we'll, we'll talk about that again in a second, whether he's a believer or not, but is exercising his authority to you well that, or not so well that you're to submit to that, because God has given that authority to him as your husband. And we'll unpack in a few minutes, but for now, just remember the application that we've heard the last couple weeks applies to today. Of what it looks like to submit to government or employers, even though they may call you evildoers. But the one difference I kind of really need to stress and point out is the one major difference from today and some of the text and the way that we've heard it taught in the previous two weeks is that even in those institutions that God has created, government and the workplace, that, that there was a possibility that you could suffer even to the point of death in those for professing Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is never the case in this institution. There is nothing pleasing to God for a wife who would suffer verbal or physical abuse from a husband who's a believer or a non-believer. So I need to just make sure that that's perfectly clear, that even though what we've heard in the last few weeks, that doesn't apply today to this carte blanche, I'm just supposed to suffer, and out of that suffering comes righteousness when it's pertaining to physical or mental abuse from your spouse. Okay? So, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Wives are women, husbands are men. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But Peter's very clear that these wives are only supposed to submit to their husbands. In other words, Jan doesn't need to submit to Logan or Kyle or anyone else. She needs to submit to me as her husband, right? This isn't to say that women aren't supposed to submit to other men in authority, right? So um, this is kind of like uh, you, you can't suddenly say, I'm a woman, and I get pulled over by a police officer, ladies, and you say, well, you're a man, and I only need to submit to my husband, so I'm just going to tear this ticket up and drive off. It's not going to go well for you. And it's going to increase the challenge for your husband, who needs to come bail you out of jail, to live with you in an understanding way. But this is also true with the men, right? No more would it work for a man who gets pulled over by a woman policeman and goes, yo, babe, apparently you don't understand. I'm a man. You're a woman. Don't need to submit. I'm out of here later. Not going to go well for him either. And it's going to tax his wife to submit to his authority and to win him without a word. Because I'm thinking she's going to have something to say about that. So, we establish who a wife is to submit to, only her own husband. So, as we continue on in verse 1, it says, So that even if some do not obey the word. And in this, I want to make sure that, because this is something that I gleaned as I prepared for this, that I hadn't really seen or understood before um, this. And that is, 
in those little in that little phrase right there so if, even if some that's where we get the understanding that this isn't just for a wife of a non-believing husband this is for wives of believing husbands as well and that's where we get it in this text where it says even if some do not obey the word so that's not meaning that he's talking to only women who have husbands who have not responded to the gospel, who have not been born again. And the end of this piece is where he speaks about husbands who have heard the gospel but have rejected it, right? So he is speaking to women who have husbands, who have heard the gospel and have rejected the truth claims of the gospel. I think the NASB, for me, kind of makes it a little bit clearer in the way that it says it. It says, if any of them are disobedient to the word. So that makes it a little clearer in my understanding that this is men who have heard and are disobedient, who have rejected the gospel. The last chunk of verse 1 says that they may be won without a word by their conduct of their wives. And this is where it may start to get a little tougher for the wives and the women to swallow this and understand this because mainly men have wrongly applied it over the centuries in the church and outside the church. What Peter's saying here, and in coming from this verse, unfortunately this is where we have wrongly adopted the attitude that women are to be seen and not heard. Or if I want your opinion, I'll ask you, that sort of attitude. I mean, if you're even the least bit confused, it wasn't until 1920 that we gave women the right to vote in the United States. So that's not saying women are co-heirs in the gospel. So it's because of these things that, that this is why this text is sometimes hard to hear and hard to apply because of the wrongs that we've been dealt in this. But it goes back to what we've heard before about the just and the unjust. That it's not because they've done it well or they've done it right or they've done it poorly that we obey, that we submit, but that we do it because we have our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. Wayne Grudem gives a definition that I think is really just for me, it really uh, captures the essence of what these six verses are trying to tell us. And Wayne Grudem says this, Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of her husband. Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of her husband. So, sharing with the guys on Friday as we went through preaching club and we talked about this text, I said, you know, there's just a part of me that feels like there's just this explanation that needs to take place in what submission isn't as well as what submission is, right? Um, Because sometimes, for me anyway, I can learn better what something right is if I know what something wrong looks like, right? If I, if I understand this isn't what it looks like, this is, helps me understand this is what it should look like, right? So let me give you a few things of what submission does not mean, okay, that we can see from this text. Submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband thinks, right? I mean, we can see that in the text. This is a woman who's, who, who Peter is talking to that is, professed her faith in the gospel and her husband's rejected it. So obviously he thinks the gospel is not true and she does. So clearly shows that you have the ability to think and disagree with your husband, whether 
on what he believes and what he says. It also doesn't mean leaving your brain at the wedding altar because she responded to the gospel in her own, right? She's got her own opinion. She's got her own belief. She has moved off of that, and she has responded to the gospel on her own. Avoiding every effort to change your husband. Again, we can see from the text that that's not something that submission doesn't mean, right? It does not mean that you shouldn't stop trying to change your husband, that you won't have opinions and discernment and um, things that he needs to hear. But it's more about methodology that we see in this text than it is about um, speech, right? It's more about your conduct and how that looks than it is about what you say. Another one that submission does not mean is putting your husband's will before Christ's will, right? We've seen that again. Jonathan's preached very clearly that if the government or your employer is asking you to do something that is outside God's will, that is sinful, that you are not to and you do not need to obey that because you will choose to do what God's will is. And lastly, it shouldn't be, or I'm sorry, two more. Getting personal what, what the submission does not mean is getting your personal strength or your spiritual strength from your husband. I know that that may like send like, wait a second, I thought men were the spiritual leaders of the home. They, they are. And I believe rightly a husband who we'll see in verse 7 when he's living with his wife in an understanding way will lead her in such a way that he is the spiritual leader of the home. But he is not the primary source for his wife's spiritual health. She is. And it is her responsibility that it comes from God. God and the gospel are your spiritual strength, not your husband. Should you and would, would it be um, biblical to lean on your husband because he is leading well in that area? Absolutely. But he is not your primary source for your spiritual or your physical strength. You get that from the gospel. And lastly, acting out of fear. You know, I said it a while ago, fear would never be the reason to why you would submit to anything. A matter of fact, that should be a warning sign that if there's fear involved, something's wrong. And, and whether that's something that you need to um, discuss with your husband or you need to take to an elder or take to, a, to the church, um, that's, that's something that, that I would encourage you if you're in that situation, if you ever find yourself in that situation to where you're fearful for not submitting because of something your husband is trying to lead you into that is outside the will of God, then I think that that's the time that you would come see your pastor, come see an elder here at the church. All right. So we'll go on to unpack some more practical applications that do and are what submission looks like. But let's pick back up in verse 2 where Peter expounds on how wives are to win their husbands. When they see, the scripture says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, when we look at this text, and we may just kind of breeze by that and go, well, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, okay, well, what's that really mean? Well, the text pure conduct is really, that's one of the first places where scripture is pointing back to that where women and where wives are to be getting their strength from, and that's their hope in God, their knowledge and understanding of God. So that's where that comes from, of what we're going to see, what that flows out of as a behavior coming forward as we look at these next verses. So when a husband 
Also, just as a, you know, just an encouragement to wives, um, when men feel respected, which is, if you go back to Ephesians, that's what men desire, right? And that's what women are to respect their husbands, husbands are to love their wives, right? When men feel respected, there's just a sense of um, strength that comes from that. When your wife says something or acts in such a way that tells you how much she respects you and appreciates you, there's something that swells up in a man that makes him a little more resilient, a little bit more um, persevering in his leadership in the home. So, verse 1 and 2 kind of give us the command and an explanation, if you will, verse, and a quick glance at kind of how. Verses 3 and 4 are going to put some more meat on what this looks like and how wives go about winning their husbands without a word in their conduct, right? So let's go to verse 3 and 4. So verse 3 and 4 say, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we start off in this text by looking at do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry or the clothing you wear. Again, not saying, wives, ladies, that you can't go to the mall, you can't go get your hair done, you can't go to the nail person and let them give you a manicure and a pedicure. Because if that were true, if that's what the text were saying, it would also be saying you're not to wear any clothes. And we know that's not true. The reality is today, honestly, more women probably need to put on more clothing. So, just a personal opinion. What this is saying, though, is this external is that what this is saying is that these external things are not your primary focus, right? Again, that's not where you're finding your strength. It's also saying that these external things aren't in disproportionate amount of time in your daily life. The external is also not to be where you put your hope or where you find your strength. The external is perishable. It will fade. It will wrinkle. And it will sag. Trust me. And eventually it will pass away. So putting our hope in anything external is really kind of futile. And I I think that here's a question that I came up with. Um, for you ladies, just to kind of ask yourself and to to really, you know, this is rhetorical, so I don't want anybody to, to shout out the answer, but do I spend more time on my makeup, hair, and wardrobe than I do reading the Word, praying, and meditating on God's Scripture? Let that be your mark. Let that be your measuring tool for where you are in the value of what you place on the external. Peter's clear where your strength is supposed to come from, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's an internal beauty that's imperishable. We sang about it. We read scripture today already that, that said those very things. That our salvation, our eternity is imperishable. There is where our hope is. There is what we put our 
faith in, not the external. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Peter's saying, let your primary focus be knowing God more. Let your deepest desire be coming more like Christ. Because that's pleasing to God. I, I thought of the classic uh, John Piper quote that says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I mean, to me, that just kind of makes sense with this text, that that's basically what he's saying. That God is most glorified when internally we are most satisfied in him and not worrying about our external beauty, but our internal heart. So think of this, I like practical illustrations if you haven't figured that out yet, but think of this in realtor terms, all right? If I say the word curb appeal, what do you think? I should, have, I should have said not rhetorical, but anyway, that's all right. When you think of curb appeal, most people think, well, that's something when you drive up to the house and you look at it from the outside, it's like, buy me. It's just saying, I, I want you. Just, you know, that's what it says, right? But you go in, you open the door to this house that looks beautiful on the outside, and you open the door and the smell of 25 dirty cat boxes hits you. You're like, whoa, okay, well, I can overcome that because, man, it's beautiful on the outside. And then you go down to the basement, and the foundation is all chipping away, and it's all rotted and everything. You look up at the boards, and they're full of termites, and you're like, yeah, probably not going to be good. But, man, did it look good from the curb, right? So wives, we need not to work on our curb appeal, but work on the foundation of our character, your inner beauty, which is imperishable. I I've said this verse to Logan a few times because he's in the bit business of physical fitness. But 1 Timothy 4, 8 talks about that physical fitness is good, but it's only good for this world. Whereas sp- spiritual fitness is not only good for this world, but the world to come. So again, that's, the, that's the, the beauty, the inner beauty, and why that is so important. Why those foundational things, why wives and women need to understand that's where you get your strength is from God and from the gospel. Caveat, this does not mean that you're to totally neglect yourself, right? This doesn't mean no makeup, uncombed hair, and a sackcloth pantsuit, right? That's not being submissive. And somehow, you know, I also, the attributes of the fruit of this internal beauty produces a quiet and gentle spirit. Again, women hear that, and men have misused it to say, you know, women are to be seen and not heard, that your opinions don't matter. But that's not the truth. Go back to Grudem's quote, Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of her husbands. Wives, you can and should have thoughts, suggestions, ideas, feedback, discernment, But it is about your heart attitude in which you share those with your husband that it's done in a respectful way to submit to the authority that God has given him as your husband. Remember, this is just like the civil and work institutions. It's not about a good king or a bad king. It's not about a good husband or a bad husband. You submit and do these things. You behave this way because of where your hope is. And your hope is not in your marriage. Your hope is in Jesus Christ in the gospel. Also want to just say, I don't want this to get confused when we hear this quietness that somehow quietness equates to submissiveness. 
right? That, that quiet women are submissive women and vocal women are rebellious women. That's not the way this goes, right? You can be a quiet woman and be seething in your heart over your husband's leadership, right? That doesn't have anything to do with submissiveness. It may look quiet, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is, right? God created both librarians and cheerleaders. It was pointed out to me on Friday. Introverts and extroverts, right? But it's in the heart that she is submitting to her husband. Nor can we make the assumption that a stay-at-home mom is somehow more submissive than a woman who works in the workplace. Submission is not tied to your personality or your occupation or your outward appearance, but it's tied to the attitude of your heart. Ladies, if you're a mom, this is a good one that I know that Jan and I have used and, and been subject to, is understanding that your children are watching you. They're watching dad too, but they're watching you and how you interact with your husband. And they will, guaranteed, with my daughter here as my witness, they will do what you do, not what you say. So you can say, I need to submit, but if you're not modeling that, then they will not submit, okay? The other thing about children is, if you have children, that's also a great exercise in understanding how do you teach submission to authority, right? Both mother and father need that, right? How do I teach my son or my daughter to submit to my authority as their mother? How do I teach them as a father to submit to my authority? So when you look at the way that you do those things, wise my application would be that those would probably cross over to the same way that you would then need to teach that and speak that to yourself as to how you would respond to husbands. The last part of that talks about how God is pleased um, with that submission, right? That, that this whole text and the, the, the thing that you read in this that seems overwhelming to the, to the mind on the surface is that God can use this believing wife's behavior to win her husband to the Lord. Now, we know that that happens through the Holy Spirit, and, but, the, but the wife is a catalyst. Her behavior and the way that she responds to her husband is so powerful that it can win a non-believing husband to the Lord. So that's huge if you want to understand how your conduct affects your marriage. Our main point, husbands and wives use their gospel freedom to please God in marriages. So let's move on to verse 5 and 6. And this is what it says. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. These verses make a bookend of where Peter started in verse 1 about wives submitting to their husbands. Peter takes this to the Old Testament and says, look, for, for them and for us, if you want to understand what it looks like for wives that submitted well to their husband, look back in the scriptures. Specifically, he names Sarah. 
And Abraham, even though he was chosen by God, was not a perfect husband. We can see that in the scriptures as well, right? But we can also see where Sarah submitted to that with dignity and respect because she put her hope in God, not in Abraham. Your husband, at best, is a redeemed sinner. Will he let you down? Yeah. Will he disappoint you? Yeah. But the good news is that your hope that allows you to trust in God, to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done, the grace that he has given you, the grace that you have received as a believing woman, as a born-again wife, can be poured back to your husband. Not because he earned it or deserves it, but because the grace was freely given to you and freely you should give it back. No amount of nagging or nitpicking will ever change your husband, no matter how right your reviling feels. Because that's what we're warring against the flesh. Let me close out this last little, again, with Wayne Grudem had another quote that I liked that I used. A wife with a gentle and quiet spirit who continues hoping in God will not be terrified by circumstances or unbelieving or disobedient husband. So I kind of framed this up in the context of no drama. I know, again, as a father of two daughters, um, we were big on no drama. And thank God our daughters both grew up not being drama queens. And so, but what this, what, what, what I look at this being is that this is your wives, you're not to be fearful because there's going to be a lot of things to be fearful about, right? Putting your kids... Well, I don't know where we start. Putting your kids, you know, with somebody's care downstairs may be your first fear that you need to shake out. Putting your kids in some sort of daycare. Putting your kids, sending your kids to camp. I know um, we have a funny story of putting Amelia in a Girl Scout camp. We owned a boat at the time. The Girl Scout camp was at Lake Springfield. And we literally got in the boat and drove around the shore hoping that we might see our daughter. Okay? That's how silly and stupid we looked. All right? She didn't see us. Like, so. Anyway, um, but that's, that's what I'm, there, there's a lot of things to be fearful for, but not when we have our hope in God. And so f- this passage ends with saying not to be fearful of anything that is frightening. So again, there's a lot of things that are frightening. Ebola. I mean, just the list can go on and on as, as moms, you're prone to worry, right? More so than, than us as men, as husbands. So. Ladies, we'll move on to the men, shall we? I know you're going, yes, finally. Get off of us. Who are you anyway? Um, Husbands and wives use their gospel freedom to please God in their marriages. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. If you're a man in this church and you've been around me at all, I know you've heard me say that verse because it's a verse that I just talk about all the time because it is a critical verse as a man, I think, and I think it's a critical verse as a husband. So if you've been around me and you haven't heard me say that, then you haven't been around me enough. So I would encourage you to get with me and let's 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 discuss this off camera shall we but anyway 
I know Logan's heard it. I get an amen from Logan. Logan heard it before he married my daughter, and he's heard it, I know for certain, I'm positive I said it to him in California when we were just on vacation with Jan and Lindley, to live with your wife in an understanding way and what that means and, and what that application looks like. So it's ongoing. It's never-ending. I, I like to say of this verse, it's the sanctification of marriage, right? It is the verse that is the, to me has the same application as sanctification. Sanctification meaning you're working out your salvation, right? And that never ends this side of heaven. Living with your wife in an understanding way and understanding God's plan and purpose and will for you as a man, as the husband that he's placed authority over, but also understanding who that is that he's given you charge of is never ending. It will never end. I think I say this, um, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, This for us, like I said, the honor God in verse 1 was the passage that points us as men to know that to live with our wives in an understanding way comes from our knowledge of God and his word and his will. And that's what this is basically, this is saying two things. This is saying, one, that's where that knowledge comes from. If you're going to have any chance of living with your wife in an understanding way, you've got to know the character of God. You've got to know God's will for you as a man, and you've got to know God's will and plan and purpose for women, for your helper. One of the things that I liked, again, that I picked up a word that really just resonated with me, maybe it will, maybe it won't with you, is that we are to be students of our wives. And I just really like that because that's, in essence, that's, that's it, right? I mean, you never graduate, right? You may, you may get a higher degree or something, but you're never, ever going to ever graduate summa cum laude or any kind of way where it's final, this side of heaven, um, but just this idea of deeply understanding her and deeply studying her to understand what it means that this co-heir that I've been given responsibility for and authority over, just what does that mean? And I've said it before, I'll say it again, this is the context of ongoingness, right? There's this perpetual never-endingness to this understanding your wife. Our fiancé changes to our wife. Our wife changes into a mother most of the time. Our 20-something wife turns into a 30-something, a 40-something, a 50-something wife. She transitions through all sorts of seasons. Wife, mother, empty nester, grandma, great-grandma. All these and a myriad of others are things that our wives are transitioning through as we grow in our understanding of them and as we grow in our marriage with them and the better that we understand these the more that we become a student of who our wives are the better it's going to go for us as we try and lead our wives as the husband as the father of our family so practical, here's some questions that you may just want to think about, jot down, maybe you do them, maybe you don't. 
maybe do more, maybe do others. But what time of day does your wife desire to communicate with you? And, and how and what is her communication style? I can tell you, after almost 32 years, I won't wake Jan up early in the morning and chat with her. That's not going to be a real good conversation. There's not going to be a lot of dialogue back and forth. I can also tell you that that's probably more in the evening when Jan's processed her day and she wants to share with me all the things that that have gone on in her day. What's her personality type? I mean, that, if you're a young married and you have not ever gone through any kind of personality assessment with your wife, that's huge. What's her love language? Gary Chapman's got a real simple book, Five Love Languages. Go through that, know that, understand that. What, what is the way that your wife receives and understands love? Again, I know Jan's gifts. I'm sure she'd be tickled pink if I bought her a five-carat diamond ring. But she's also just as happy when I stop at Walmart and pick up a $2 bouquet of flowers and bring it home. Because it's not the value of it, it's that she receives love because I took the initiative, first of all, um, to do that, right? And then it's a gift that she receives and that just that fills up her love tank. What burdens your wife? What are the things that she's anxious about? What is she fearful of? Do you know? I can generally say as a blanket term, it's security. All women struggle with wanting to know that they're going to be provided for and that they're going to be protected. But what level of security does your wife struggle with? Is she comfortable? Is she perfectly feel protected that you're going to not only provide, but that you're not going to leave her? And then lastly, just something simple. What's her daily schedule? And how do you serve her in that schedule? What does that look like? Is that helping her get the kids ready for school? Is that calling her on break? Is that bringing her a cup of coffee? Is that, what is that? How do you serve her husband in that role during the day in a way that honors her? That's where we're going to, by showing honor to the woman. So Peter's told us that as we live with them in an understanding way, we will show them honor if we're doing it well, right? And I wish I could stand here today and say I've nailed honoring my wife, uh, but I can't. And I hope Jan would say I'm improving or have I improved over the last 30 years, um, but I still don't have it. The problem is my flesh. The problem is I'm selfish. Um, I want what I want when I want it. And uh, that's not usually going to go very well in the relationship with your wife. My selfishness, my passivity, I have a whole litany of things that I struggle with to live with my wife in an understanding way and show her honor, right? And I honor Jan and we honor our wives when we initiate. And I think... I think I said it at the marriage forum, um, but I know that when you look back at that text in Ephesians, that's something that just is strikingly that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, initiated. He came down from heaven. He left the confines of heaven to come rescue his bride. She didn't call him and say, come help me. She didn't call him and say, hey, I've got groceries in the car. Come get off your duff and help me carry him in. He initiated on his own and came down to rescue us. And so initiation is where this really looks like. Um, And again, I have a great 
personal illustration of just yesterday. I'm preparing for this message. And my wife says, the pumpkins are rotting on the front porch. My initial reaction, really? Now? I'm preparing for it. Me- well, you can use that for a personal illustration. I'm like, all right. Thank you. So, I do try to initiate. Do I do it well? Do I do it with the right heart? Do I do it with the right attitude? Probably not. But initiation is, is key for us as men that we initiate these things to show her honor. Because as I said about men feeling respected when their wives say and let them know by words or actions how much they appreciate them or respect them, women respond the same way when they feel honored. And they especially feel honored when we initiate it and they haven't had to encourage us to honor them. Like the wife, we don't respond as men because she's deserving of it or she's a great wife. We respond because it's what's right. And it's ultimately most pleasing to God. So Peter says, well, we can ask, well, why? Why do I live with her in an understanding way and treat her with honor? And here we go with the next little chunk of verse 7. Because she is the weaker vessel and she is co-heir to the grace of life. As the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life is how the ESV reads. So first, stop, weaker vessel, all the negative stuff that's thrown out there when we talk about that. This has nothing to do with women being inferior, nothing derogatory view of women. This isn't saying women are weaker spiritual or, or morally or less intelligent or that they're mentally weaker. Again, this is one of those words that we've distorted today. Um, those in opposition to what is the right roles and the responsibility of a husband and a wife in the context of a marriage um, to make it mean something that Peter didn't write and God didn't intend. The weaker vessel, actually, if you think about it, this is verse 7, this is for husbands, likewise husbands, right? This is to the men. This really isn't even to women. I mean, not that women can't read this passage, but this is Peter writing to men about women being the weaker vessel. So that in and of itself lets you know that Peter's not dissing women. He's trying to give men the understanding of who this is, this co-heir, this woman that we're supposed to honor, who she is. The fact that Peter uses the weaker vessel also implies that men are a vessel. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's this coffee mug here and there's this wine glass over there. The reality is, in general terms, I know there's exceptions to every rule, but in general terms, men are physically stronger than women. There are exceptions. I realize that. My daughter's almost a black belt, so I'm sure maybe she thinks she could take me. I don't think so, but we might have to go in a cage match or something. But the, the, the idea, though, is that men are physically stronger. And we see that by this Simple illustration. Again, I'll use a personal illustration. I had another wine glass out, and Jan saw it and called me and said, Hey, did you mean to bring this? I said, No, I brought the other one. She goes, The one from our wedding? I said, Yeah. She goes, Be careful with that. (laughs) Exactly. My point. Men, double-walled, stainless steel, travel mug. Women, wine glass, fragile, 
delicate, sensitive. Heaven help me if I would break this glass now. I'm going to set that down and get that out of my way. So, but that's the, that's the idea, right? Men are stronger. That doesn't, there's no more value in that travel mug than there is that wine glass. They're both created just like men and women were created. They're both created for a purpose. This is to put some liquid in to go and be rough and tumble with. This is to put some beverage in to toast. Right? Fine, delicate. Purpose, function. No difference in equality of value in those two. So, let that just be an understanding because... And I, I, I've read this before. I read it again to, as, as I was preparing for this, that delicate, and you've heard me say that word a couple of times, that I, I like that in my mind better than weaker, right? Think of your wife as more delicate, that you're not going to... I can, when I leave here, I'm, I could throw that thing. I could close the lid on I could throw it down on the floorboard of the car. It can bang around. It'll, it'll come... I may, it might be scratched. It might be dented, but I'm just going to throw it in the dishwasher when I get home, Right? That, I'm going to wrap back in that towel and be very careful where I lay it on the seat and make sure that I don't set anything on it or it doesn't fall off, right? So just this idea of how we treat a delicate object versus a rough-and-tumble object. Men need need to understand and view our wives as the delicate object that they are. Not that they're spiritually, not that there's any inferiority in that, but they're just to be treated in a way that reveals that we know that they are delicate. Again, I'm a father of two daughters. I can speak harshly, as you might imagine. You know me. And so, more times than I would probably like to admit, I've made my daughters cry. And my wife has tried to help me by being more gentle, by being more understanding. Um, I was trying to raise girls to be boys, kind of, in in a weird sort of way. And my wife was saying, no, don't do that. You'll jack them all up. But... Um, I spoke to them in a way that I just needed to be um, rebuked from my wife, actually, to to do that. So, um, just remember, they're, they're, they're more delicate. And we should treat them like that. So at the end of this, or next to the, there's two more pieces of this, and I need to say, and I've kind of expressed it already, this preparing for this was as much for me, um, especially in this second part, as it was for you men. So in this next two pieces of scripture that we'll break down before we get out of here, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I know I've heard and read the scripture literally hundreds of times, but the Holy Spirit really just did a work on me uh, as I was preparing for this. Because he revealed to me that I don't consistently live with my wife in that way. I don't really think and live with her in the truth that she is co-equal, co-heir to eternity with me. If I did, I'm sure I would respond differently. That if I, if I understood that my wife deserves... That level of sacrificial love, not because she's earned it, but because she's my co-heir in the grace of life. And it's not that I didn't or that I don't believe that truth, but again, it just wasn't 
until I started preparing for this and studying this, it wasn't a grid that I looked at my wife through. So maybe this is just for me. If it is, let it go. (laughs) If it didn't, let let it apply. My wife is phenomenal. She's a great wife. She's a great mother. She cooks. She sews. She bakes. She makes crafts. She loves our neighbors well. She invests in others outside the house. She does things that I have flat out told her, no way, no way can I do that, nor would I do that, that she does without even thinking. She supported me. She submitted to my leadership, both good and bad, and I could go on and on. Does she have any flaws? Yes. She's human. She's a redeemed sinner, just like me. However, God helped me to see in all of this that she was unique and that she was created uniquely by God for me to understand and to love. And I don't say this to hold Jan up or embarrass her, although... Um, I may be doing both. I'm actually saying this because it hit me in the preparation of this that this is how I got to this part of the text, how I've completely missed the real value that she brings as a wife. And that is that she is my co-heir in the grace of life. Even though God has given me greater authority in this institution of our marriage, she is equal in spiritual importance and eternal significance. So let's look at the last piece, which is not to be passed over lightly, so that your prayers will not be hindered. In the past two weeks, we've looked at just and unjust authority. And as men and women who were to submit to that authority so long as it didn't lead us into sin or go against God's word or God's will, right? We have scripture to lean on, on that we know Ultimately, God's perfect and right judgment and justice will prevail over evil, over the unjust authority, both in all three of these spheres, right? In the government, in the workplace, and in the marriage. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, Romans twelve nineteen. And you can go on to read like the first six verses in chapter 13. There's, there can't be any doubt that God's justice will prevail. But Peter is writing, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to believing husbands in how to live with your wife in an understanding way. This isn't some abstract authority. This isn't some president that we may or may not like. This isn't some boss that we may or may not like. This is us. This is us men as husbands that Peter is saying, you have been given this authority from God as a husband And if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, you don't know me and you don't know my will, and you're not rightly applying that leadership in the home, your prayers will be hindered. Your relationship with me will be hindered. That's serious. I mean, that's, again, we read this verse and we go, oh yeah, our prayers will be hindered. Yeah, that's that's good. Let's move on to verse 8. No, I mean... One commentary said it, I think, best. No more serious divine threat could be given to a believer than the interruption of all the promises of prayers heard and answered. I mean, this is huge, okay? So if you think you're getting away with it or it's not really that big of a deal, let this text lay heavy on your heart this morning. 
if you abuse the authority God has given you, either through passivity or abuse, through lording over, then your fellowship with God is being hindered. If you aren't living with your wife in an understanding way, God is not listening to you. Husbands and wives use their gospel freedom to please God in their marriages. Men, love your wives well by being present with her, by conversing with her, enjoying time with her, laying down the things that you find valuable to spend time and do the things that she finds valuable. Let me close with this. We've seen today how the institution of marriage created by God desires us not to act out of our own strength, but out of the deep hope both that women as wives and men as husbands have in God. Husbands and wives, we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in the hard spots of marriage, and we will, whether you've not had any yet because you've not been married long enough or you've gotten through some and you think that that season's done, newsflash, not. We can see from today that our conduct, how we react, how we respond as a husband, as a wife, needs to come from the heart that trusts in the freedom of the cross, that trusts in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ because it's pleasing in God's sight. And we'll steal something from Pastor Jonathan, what he said at the end of the message last week. The gospel of the cross frees me and you from sin so that we may live to righteousness. That rightly applied to civic and the workplace, and it definitely applies to husbands and wives in the context of marriage. Our hope in submitting as wives and leading as husbands is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, which frees us to conduct ourselves out of love and the grace that we were given. We give freely to our spouse. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, working in me um, through the weeks leading up to this message and just um, how you have convicted me and broken my heart and understanding um, how I have fallen short in living with my wife in an understanding way from the, from the perspective that she is a co-heir with me. So, Father, I ask that you would just help us. Help us as we have heard this text, as we've heard some of these illustrations that they applied and they rightly spoke the truth of your word. Then, Lord, let, let, let them be fruitful. But, Lord, if I have said anything that is outside of your will or your word, please just have it removed like that. Father, let us, let us trust in you. Let us put our hope in you. And out of that, be husbands that lead our wives well in an understanding way. Which I believe will create women who submit joyfully and freefully. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.